0: The gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And even though we're still in the season of Advent, we get to hear of the birth of Jesus this Sunday. Uh, And so it's a very Christmassy Advent Sunday. Please stand as you are able for the gospel. Uh, You can find this on page 959 of the Pew Bible. From Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18, we read in Jesus' name. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The angel taught Joseph the true meaning of Christmas. When he said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the true meaning of Christmas. He will save his people from their sins. You and I need saving. Do you know this? Do you believe this about yourself? If we are going to understand anything about Christianity, if we are going to understand anything about Christmas, and if we are going to understand anything about Jesus, we need to understand this about ourselves. We needs saving. We are not the way we are supposed to be. We are not the way we think we are. And I mean that for all of us. We do not truly know ourselves. We think we know ourselves, but we don't. Now, why do I say that? How do I know that we do not truly know ourselves? It's because our Savior showed up to fix something that we didn't really think needed fixing. The angel said to Joseph, he will save his people from their sins. So what do we need saving from? Our sins. This is not really what the Jewish people thought they needed saving from. And it's not really what we think we need saving from. I mean, we might sort of know it because we look back upon these things in hindsight. Or we know that we're supposed to know this. Or we know that we're supposed to feel contrition over our sins. And sometimes we do feel sorry for the bad things we do. Other times, honestly, we don't. We might get so used to doing something that we feel a little bit less sorry every time. When we have to confess the same sins over and over again, we sometimes start to feel ashamed that we have to confess these same things over and over again. But then, after a little while, that feeling of shame might kind of dissipate, and we might just kind of get bored with it. And then we feel a little bit less sorry every time, and we forget our need for a saviour. Or we compare ourselves to the people around us, and we might think that we're above average or below average or a little bit good and a little bit bad or some other mixture that's based on whatever the median human behavior is. And so, if we feel like our behavior is even a problem, the kind of savior we think we need isn't that big of a savior. We often feel other problems weighing on us more heavily could be loneliness, financial insecurity, political distress, depression, illness, or whatever else is right in front of us. We feel these things, and these problems overpower the weight of sin in our lives. Now, I don't want you to be burdened by the weight of sin. But of all the problems we feel in our lives— Our own sins should be the greatest one that we know and feel in our hearts. And we should, at various times, not all the time, but sometimes feel the weight of our sins. That is simply a sign of a rightly ordered conscience. And yet other problems often weigh heavier on our minds. And this leads us to look for different kinds of saviors, We look to other people or other things to be our saviors. The worst, really, is when we look to Jesus to be our savior from these other things, but not to be our savior from sin. And I say this is actually worse than looking for help outside of Jesus because this turns Jesus into something else that he's not. Perhaps you've noticed that Jesus, or the caricature of Jesus, is very malleable. Not the real Jesus, of course, he is unchanging, but the Jesus of our imaginations is very malleable. What I mean is, whatever problem we think we have, whatever we think our biggest problem is, there's a Jesus for that. We bend and shape our own false Jesus to be our savior from our felt needs. And so we have the relational Jesus, along with T-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy, or Jesus is my boyfriend. There's a political Jesus, or really two political Jesuses, if you know what I mean. And they apparently don't get along. (laughs) There's the Jesus of the prosperity gospel for those who love money, and the healing Jesus for those who are sick. Now, if you're paying careful attention, you might scratch your head just a little bit. Doesn't the real Jesus care about these things? And shouldn't we look to Jesus for help in these things? Well, of course. But we should not look for a different kind of Jesus to help us in these things. We should look to the Jesus who is our savior from our sins to help us in these things. Because all these other problems are really part of the bigger problem of sin, All of these little problems, they're like little microcosms of death. And death is the consequence of sin. Sin is the real problem in all of this. It is the cause of all of this. And I don't mean that if you're sick, lonely, or poor, that God is punishing you for your sins. But every evil in the world is a consequence of the common sin that infects us all, death came because of sin. So we look to Jesus for help when we look to him to save us from our sins. And this means that the final answer to all these smaller things will not come until the last day when Jesus swallows up sin and death forever. But on that last day, then all of those smaller problems will be solved completely and perfectly. And so in this life, one of the things that all these smaller problems should do is they should remind us of the real problem of our sins. And so we should look to Jesus, above all else, as the Savior from our sins. Now, even when we do this, we still might not think of him rightly. We might look at our sins and think, okay, yeah, I should stop doing that. And I've tried to stop doing that, but that's hard and maybe I can't, so I probably need some assistance. And so we bend and shape Jesus into a morality coach. We look to him to teach us how to overcome our sin or seek a little extra spiritual juice from him. You know what I mean? Or, and this is the common way that evangelicals talk about it these days, we look to him for transformation. That's kind of the big word, has been for a while. Watch for that word a little bit. Transformation. Now, it is a Bible word, so we should certainly not dismiss it, and we should use it and use it rightly. But if you hear someone use that word, transformation, more than a couple of times or a few times, it might be an indication that their priorities are out of balance. The idea is that Jesus transforms our hearts so that we can overcome sin and loneliness and depression and anxiety and all those little microcosms of death. It sounds good, but what's really going on is Jesus is turned into a morality coach. Uh, It's also, ironically, a very Roman Catholic idea. Rome looks to Jesus for grace, that's what they call it, but they use a different definition of grace. They talk about it as a substance or a power that God gives us to change our hearts so that we can love him more and overcome temptation and sin in our lives. But our real problem with sin is not something that we can do anything about. It's not like we can do a little bit, and it's not like Jesus infuses us with the power to handle our sin. We think we can, and we feel like we can, but if we could, we would not need a Savior. And what we learn from all of this is that we truly do not know ourselves if we think that we can rise above the sin in our lives, or if we think these other problems are the real problems in our lives, we do not really know ourselves. We don't really begin to know ourselves until we see who Jesus really is and until we see what kind of Savior he is. It's when Jesus is nailed to the cross It's when darkness comes over the whole land in the middle of the day. It's when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's when he dies that we finally see what kind of savior he is. And when we see what kind of savior he is, then we can finally begin to see what kind of problem we really have. Because it's not a problem that can be solved with coaching It can't be solved with money. It can't be solved with quality time together. It could only be solved by the bloody and agonizing death of the Son of God. When we see the solution, then maybe we start to see what the problem really was. It's like if you take your car in for an oil change and they pull the whole engine out. Or you go to the doctor for a physical and he preps the OR and cuts a hole in your chest. Those are the moments when we might start to see what the real problem was. So we we go to Jesus because we're sick or lonely, anxious or poor, and his answer is to get nailed to a cross and die. And that's when we might begin to realize that our problem is bigger than we really know or feel in our hearts. And this is how we begin to see ourselves rightly. So, the cross of Jesus is painful, not just for him, but it's also a little bit of a painful experience for us. And this is why we sometimes kind of shield our eyes from it. If that's what Jesus had to pay, then I must really be a poor and miserable sinner. And this is true, and this is painful. But this is also the most gracious way for us to come to this realization because the answer, the healing, the forgiveness is already in hand. Jesus' sacrificial death for us invites us to come with confidence in his mercy to confess our sins. It's not like God says, tell me what you did and then we'll see what my answer is. No, God preaches to us through the cross, I know what you did. I know what you are, and I already paid for it. So come and confess these sins that I have already forgiven. And this is really what Christmas is all about. We see this when the angel announces Jesus' birth to Joseph, the man who would take Mary as his wife and adopt Jesus as his own child. The angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, whenever an angel tells you to give your child a certain name, you do it. And you can bet there's a good reason for that name. The name Jesus, it means the Lord or Yahweh is salvation. And so when the angel appears to Joseph in a dream, he says something like, and this is still going to say it in English, but this is going to be more like how Joseph would have heard it in Aramaic. It would have been more like, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Yahweh is salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. That is the meaning of Christmas. Our sin is the reason that God became man. You've probably heard this phrase before, Jesus is the reason for the season. And this reminds us that all that commercialism, which Charlie Brown loathed so much, isn't really what Christmas is all about. Nor is it cookies, lefsa, Santa Claus, no men, or even family. Christmas is about Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. But we want to take it a step farther. What was Jesus' reason? And this is really the important question. Why did he come? And the answer is your sin. When you consider the image of this little baby Jesus, know that the reason for this is the filthiness of your own heart. It might not be what we want. It might not be what we think we need or what we feel like we need. But it is what God knew we needed. And so that's what he did. He came to save us from our sins. The reason for the season is our sinful and miserable hearts. And Christmas is all about God's love in response to our rebellion. So whenever you hear that little phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season, say to yourself, yep, and what was Jesus' reason? Oh yes, my sin. And that's why he has the name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And so, more than anything, Christmas is about the cross. From the moment of his birth, even from the moment of his conception, the purpose of his human life was to suffer and die for the sins of the world. This child was born under the curse of the law in order to redeem us who are under that curse. And so the most appropriate symbol for Christmas is not really a manger, Although the manger is a beautiful sign of Jesus' humility, it's also not a star or a candy cane or an angel. It's a crucifix. It's a cross, and not merely an empty cross, but an ugly cross with a bleeding and dying Jesus on it. Because that is where all of this is going. And this is where all of this was always intended to go. And God is pleased with this. And this is why he is pleased with you. And this is why Jesus has the name Jesus. That is, Yahweh is salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.